You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. This has been an interesting year for national security in Canada. To put it lightly, our relationship with China is still difficult. We have accused India of assassinating a citizen on our soil. We have seen terrorism charges used for the first time around a white supremacist murder. And now, we've seen an RCMP official, not just charged, but convicted of selling Canadian intelligence to other individuals. The trial of Cameron Ortis was groundbreaking and difficult. He maintained his innocence to the end, claiming that he was working for Canada all along. On Wednesday, he was convicted under the Security of Information Act, another first in a year full of them on the national security beat. What do we know about what Ortis did and why he did it? What intelligence was he selling and to whom? And where does this trial and verdict fit in the bigger picture of a year that's shown us just how critical and perhaps fragile our national security truly is? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Catherine Tunney is a reporter with CBC's Parliament Hill Bureau, where she covers national security and the RCMP. And so, uh, by strict definition, this trial, right, Catherine? (laughs) Yes, it's all consumed in my life, that's for sure. Well, for those who haven't been following it day to day or, or have just heard about it as we got closer to a verdict, maybe give us some context. Who is Cameron Ortis? What was his role with the RCMP? Yeah, he's kind of a fascinating character in all of this. Of course, the trial is all about him, but fascinating in the sense that he led this kind of unit within the RCMP called Operations Research, and he was basically tasked to kind of make this team, um, figure out what to do, and do his own hiring. And essentially, that team had access both to Canadian intelligence, so intelligence, you know, gathered by CSIS, our spies, CSC, our foreign signals intelligence unit, Mm -hmm. but also had access to our Five Eyes intelligence allies as well, you know, that, that being the US, the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. So he really had access to some of the most sensitive secrets that both Canada cared about and also our allies. Now, interestingly, he is not a police officer. Often right. when we think of the RCMP, you know, we're thinking about Mounties, you know, uh, officers with, with guns and, you know, riding horses and wearing the red surge and all of that. He was a civilian member. So he actually came up through academia. He's he, a very smart man. Everyone described him as such. Had a PhD, for example. Um, so he kind of came through the RCMP through a different way. But yeah, definitely had his hands on, on some of the most fascinating intelligence um, that anyone in in Canada would have outside of CSIS, for example. And from what I gather, he was kind of seen in in the Bureau as like a rising star, right? Yeah, I mean, one of his his former bosses is this retired assistant commissioner, Todd Sheen, said he was one of the smartest people I've ever known. And and they they did think he was destined to to even become deputy commissioner, for example, which is a pretty high-ranking position for for a civilian member, you know, apparently had the ear of, of Bob Paulson, the commissioner at the time. Lots of people testified, you know, they, they were friendly and were seen together having conversations. So he, yeah, he was a, a rising star um, in the RCMP and, until, you know, his arrest. That's quite a fall. And I guess before we get into the verdict itself and how we came to it, how did that fall happen? How did he come to be on trial? What was he accused of doing and how was it discovered? 
one of the most fascinating parts of this is it was the FBI that that tipped off the RCMP that kind of started this whole um, investigation into, into one of their own. It was back in 2018 when the FBI ha- had gone after this guy named Vincent Ramos, who will come up many times in this court case. And they had arrested him and, and went through his computer and the RCMP was helping out because he, this Vincent Ramos was Canadian and the RCMP also had eyes on him. And we heard from one of the um, early initial investigators who was going through Remus's computer and realized, wait a minute, these are these are some RCMP documents. This, huh. this is this is our stuff on this computer. And then they were able to look at some emails and and clearly the emails were not, you know, cam.ortis at gmail.com that he was using, you know, sending them. Um, but they they realized that someone had been emailing Vincent Ramos with with these kind of snippets of documents, almost like it was an intelligence document, but but some of it was blacked out or, mm. or you know, you could tell that it wasn't a complete document. Um, and he had sent them to him and, and, and was asking for money. So that's what tipped off what's called Project ACE, which was the RCMP's investigation into their own. Ultimately, they decided it was realized it was, it was Cameron Ortis. They searched his office here in Ottawa. They also searched his his condo in the in the Byward Market, and that's where they found a trove of other documents, not just connecting them to Vincent Ramos, but also to a suspected kind of money laundering network, um, including three men in the GTA. What do we know about the intelligence at the center of this trial? I assume it's classified, but what came up during the presentation of of evidence and and what was he trying to do with it? And and I'm I'm just I'm curious. Do we know how much that kind of intelligence goes for on the market? One of the fascinating parts about this trial is that Ortis didn't really contest a lot of it. That that ultimately he did agree that he he shared special operational information, and that he he did under testimony say that he was sending these emails. What was up in dispute is, is this question of authority, which which we can get to. So I mean, he, he did ultimately say that he was the one sending these emails. So we we can see in the email that he had asked for twenty thousand dollars in cash. Seems very low to me. Uh, yeah. Of course, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not in, the, in this world. And there is, to be clear, there is no evidence to suggest that he ever received that money. Clearly, the RCMP went through his finances um, after he was arrested, and they never saw that. So, I've heard some people speculate. You know, maybe it was, hey, you know, I'll show you a little bit what I got, and then I'll ask for this much, and then you know, going forward, I can ask for more money. But we clearly don't know that because he he was arrested before before that went much further. But we know, looking at the information, he he was leaking RCMP intelligence um, reports the RCMP had put together about these police targets that he's accused. Or sorry, I keep saying accused because I'm catching myself. Right. I know we don't have to say alleged anymore. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> used to it. My journalism brain is like, oh, yeah, you're convicting someone. No, of course, the jury convicted him. So you know, he had sent RCMP intelligence, intelligence from from FinTrack, that's our intelligence agency, reports that they had put together. And there was also information from our Five Eyes allies. There was a, a report, for example, looking at these money launderers, which had kind of input from, from the Five Eyes. And that was also part of these, these bundles of information that he was putting out there. Explain, if you can, how he defended himself in court. I found it really interesting. Yeah, it, it was one of the um, you know this whole case has had twists and turns. This was probably one of the one of the bigger bombshell moments. Not just because it was the first time in four years. You know, remember he was arrested in 2019. You know, the first time that we heard or. I'd say heard, but really he, he testified in camera because there are so many security concerns mm-hmm. in this case. But we got to read his testimony and it is it is a bombshell allegation. He said, you know, that he was working to protect Canada, that he had received phone calls from a, a secret foreign agency back in 2014 
that had alerted him to what he called a grave threat and that there was essentially a plot that he was looped in on um, to, to try to lure criminals into using an encrypted email service. And, and he says that he was told essentially intelligence authorities had access to that email service so they would be able to snoop in on on what criminals were saying. You know, if we, if we had been using it back and forth, essentially someone else could see what we were saying. Quite incredible. To be clear, the email service outside of court clearly very upset about these allegations that he that he dropped in court and they're completely false but that is the story that he that he's saying that again as I said he doesn't really deny reaching out to these people but he said it was it was for a different reason it was because he was actually trying to catch them and um and and help ultimately help the five eyes clamp down on this kind of activity now of course there are details missing in that story we don't know who that foreign agency is his defense team says that's because there are national security limitations on, on this case so he isn't able to tell us who that foreign agency is or or also what that threat that he talked about really entails but right. they're you know standing by their story they say as you know when the verdict came down that an innocent man who was trying to protect Canada is now going to jail I kind of mentioned before we began this conversation that it's been a very interesting year for Canadian national security in general. And I, I want to kind of talk about some of the firsts and the, the big picture here. This trial in particular revolved around charges under what's called the Security of Information Act. I believe uh, it's the first in Canada to do so. Can you explain what the act is and, and how, I guess, it changed this trial from what we might typically have seen? I mean, yeah, this is a history-making trial. It's the first sign that Security of Act information um, charges have ever been tested in court. There was another case, a Navy official who kind of almost immediately pled pled guilty, so it never went to trial. So first time it went to trial, first time that being said, you know, a jury ultimately ha- had to weigh in. So I know a lot of people were watching that to see how could national, how could we talk about national security in an open court, one where, you know, Many people, of course, believe that national security should be protected. So how do you protect classified information? Mm. But also, he is the accused. He has rights. And how do you balance that to make sure that he also is getting his fair shake and, and able to to tell his story in an open court before a jury? So we do know that there, even well before this case went to trial in Ontario Superior Court, there was a whole separate dealing in, in federal court where a judge looked at all the information um, and ultimately decided that some information could not be said in, in open court. We saw that in some of the evidence, for example, it'd be, you know, we saw some of these classified intelligence reports, but other parts of it were completely covered in, in black because, right. because of that. So it was an interesting trial because we, you know, didn't get to see everything. And then his defense had and, and continues to argue that he didn't get to, to tell his whole story because of that. As somebody who is dedicated to this beat, what were some of the more notable things that you learned about uh, Canada's national security operations in general during this trial? Because it must offer a pretty unusual glimpse, I guess, inside uh, the inner workings of stuff. Even reporters on the beat don't get to see that often. Yeah, I, I mean, I wish, you know, intelligence officials just told us all of this stuff and we wouldn't have to go to trial and, and look at it. But yeah, I mean, I, 
super nerdy. Like it, it was a way to see inside the RCMP's national security wing that I've never had access to. I don't know anyone else who's had access to it to it either. Um, to hear from people about the work they were working on and just understand some of the dynamics. You know, this unit was pretty kind of hived off. It was pretty secretive. Not even you know didn't communicate a lot with other people in the RCMP. So that that was really interesting to hear hmm. how the FBI tipped the RCMP after this. I think there are and continue to be questions about why, you know, a police organization that that has a national security element to it wasn't maybe alert to the fact that someone within the organization was leaking national security, um, I think it's fair to say is an embarrassment. And I, I think the RCMP would argue that they're, they've now taken steps to to change that. But that, that's clearly a mark on, on, on the national police force. What do we know about the verdict and how jurors came to a decision in terms of how long it took or or what they cited, if that's available? You know, what is he officially guilty of and uh, how much time might he be facing? They deliberated for about two and a half days and they found him guilty on all six charges against him. And, And the kind of four charges that most people have been interested in are the Security of Information Act charges. So three counts of sharing special operational information without authority. That's how it's written in the act. And then one count of attempting to share special operational information without authority. So those were the most severe. And then there's two criminal code violations, breach of trust, for example, and then an unauthorized use of a computer, also guilty on on those counts. So yeah, the Crown says it'll be seeking a pretty severe sentence. That won't happen until January when the sentencing hearing happens. But the Crown already said that they are seeking up to 20 years, maybe more. It sounds pretty clear that they would like to send a message to anyone else who wants to leak information that, you know, the, the armor of the law can come after you. And then the defense says that they believe that their client has already served enough time. He was behind bars waiting for this trial for about three years. So they think that he that he's already gone through enough. So ultimately, that, that decision will be made by, by the judge in early January. What impact might this trial have on... Canada's national security community in general. I imagine uh, a lot of people were watching this closely. Well, what are they talking about in the wake of it? I've talked to people since the verdict come out has come out. Uh, and one of the things is that this clearly sends a message that the security of act you know law can be tested in court and people can be found guilty of the Security of Information Act. A jury can rule on a, on a national security matter. Um, I know that people have suggested that that might mean that, you know, we have seen lots of headlines recently that are that are based on leaks, and perhaps that means to be careful. And it clearly sends a message to, to anyone who wants to leak information that there is this power, and, and clearly the government and, and you know the crown is is capable of, of arguing that in open court. I think if it had been the other way, if he had been found not guilty, we would be having a much different conversation about how our allies feel about this. Mm. But from my understanding, from talking to to security experts, largely our allies, I think we're watching closely for sure. But um, we're making sure that, okay, Canada, you can clean up your house. You know, when something happens, there are consequences. We're not the first country to have leaks. You know, the U.S. has probably way more leaks right. than, than we do. But it's about, I think, for, you know, the whole, the whole point of an intelligence alliance is being able to trust each other. And, and some of that also means trusting that, that you will be able to, to, to handle it when it comes up. The last thing I want to ask you is about a potential change in tone from Canada on national security. This is something I've seen 
a couple of people, uh, experts who we have had on this show before, talking about in the wake uh, of this verdict, but also, you know, we began this week uh, reporting on the Veltman verdict, which was the first time uh, terror charges were used against uh, a white supremacist. And in the bigger picture, you know, Canada coming out and outright accusing India of an assassination and uh, our continued frayed relationships with China. There seems to be a sense among the people that I've seen watching it anyway that that Canada is getting uh, a little more serious and a little more diligent on issues of national security. What's your experience of this year on the beat been like? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I I do think you know, we're having more conversations, which I think is great. Some of that is based on leaks, and people can argue that some of that was was in the public interest. That's a whole other conversation about whistleblower versus leaker. I do think the the conversation is maturing. I will say that there have been conversations going on for years, but of course, some of the more recent allegations have, I think, kind of sexed it up, to be honest, and people are paying more attention. I would hope, and I've heard from some some high place authorities, that slowly... And remember, these are organizations where when I say things move slowly, like it is a snail's pace. But I think there is an understanding that we can have these conversations somewhat more in the open. You know, we've seen the head of CSIS. He he spoke to 60 Minutes this year. Like, that is unheard of. He hasn't spoke to Canadian media in a long time. I'll put that out there. But, you know, <laughs> he's going, you know, our top spy is, is talking to 60 Minutes. That is something. And I know, for, you know, I've talked to people in the RCMP who, who do believe, of course, there are things we can't tell you because of national security reasons. But, you know, the other countries are able to to talk about things and aren't so opaque about it. So I'm hopeful that that means that we'll, we'll have more conversations and not just these very vague, you know, CSIS warns of foreign interference. Like, mm. I think we're, as a country, we've moved on. Like, yes, we, we know that. Like, what do people do? Right. <laughs> you know, when we talk about economic espionage, like businesses are are telling CSIS, like, okay, we understand that, but like, you need to give us more information because we don't know what to do when, when you just warn us without with any more details. So I am slowly feeling that that is, that is changing. I hope I'm not disappointed in a year, but that, that's also very likely. It will be fascinating to watch. And uh, Canada's top spy always, uh, always welcome on this program, too, if he <laughs> wants to talk. Thank you so much, Catherine. This is a pleasure. Thank you. Catherine Tunney, national security reporter with the CBC. That was the big story for more, including our report on the Veltman trial, which I mentioned in the discussion with Catherine. You can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Just scroll down a little bit. It's right there from earlier this week. You can find The Big Story in every single podcast player. You can reach out to us to criticize, praise, or suggest an episode by finding us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN, still not calling it X. You can also email us, hello, at thebigstorypodcast.ca, or call us and leave a voicemail, 416 416- 935-5935. Joe Fish is the lead producer of The Big Story. Robin Simon is also a producer on this program. Mark Angley and Ryan Clark handled our sound design this week. Mary Jubrin is our digital editor. Diana Kay is our manager of business development. And Stephanie Phillips is our showrunner. I'm your executive producer and your host, Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Have a wonderful weekend. Be safe out there. We'll see you in this feed for In This Economy tomorrow, and we'll be back with a fresh big story on Monday.